When it comes to the event of a worldwide flood, a worldwide flood is spoken of in over 200 myths from a myriad of countries, cultures, and time periods, all of which depict a great deluge with striking similarities between the accounts. The Public Broadcasting Service says, the majority of modern geologists agree that an historic worldwide flood almost certainly occurred based upon inarguable geological evidence. Time Magazine admits, numerous archeologists believe there really was an historical flood and those archeologists even date the flood to roughly five to 7,000 years ago. Now, as Christians, our conviction is that God's word, the Bible, and everything in it is true even when science seems to contradict it. But in the case of the flood, uh, it's nice that many scientists are finding evidence to confirm the flood, that's, that's nice. But interestingly, hear this, despite the scientific evidence, and despite the fact that an historical flood is almost universally believed on throughout the world and across cultures, despite those things, Time correspondent Ishan Taror uh, wrote an article fairly recently offering a psychoanalytic explanation of the flood, and here's what I mean by that. He says in his article, the dream of a worldwide flood has occurred because human beings from various countries, cultures, and time periods went to bed with full bladders. <laughs> he continues, religious purists will no doubt be upset to hear it, but the flood story has come about because people drank too much water before bedtime. <laughs> this is being established as factual narrative. Ironically, this Time magazine that I've just quoted, it was published on April 1 of 2014. It's Fool's Day in more ways than one. I say that soberly, also humorously. Hold on to that quote about the flood story owing its existence to our bedwetting. Hold on to that because a denial of an actual flood is in fact a flagrant denial of God's word and a denial of God's word tragically plays right into what we're about to read in Genesis chapter seven. Last week in chapter six, we saw that the world has become so sinfully corrupt, God determined to flood it, to purge it from wickedness. But graciously, God also determined to salvage a remnant of humanity. He instructed the righteous man Noah to build a very large boat, an ark, to be used by God to ensure the survival of Noah and his family, as well as pairs of birds and animals. We ended last week at chapter six, verse 22, when Noah obediently did all that God commanded him. And now I'd invite you to follow along as the story continues in Genesis chapter seven. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, 
and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two, of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures, the swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we ask and trust that you will use this passage of your word to instill in us a reverent fear of you, to stir in us faith-filled obedience, and to conform us into the likeness of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Due to the enormity of the ark and 
the specifications for its construction that God gave to Noah back in chapter 6. Due to the enormity of this project, some scholars think that Noah was given 120 years to build the ark. The reason for this proposed timeline, it's not in our passage, it was in our passage last week. The reason for this proposed timeline is back in chapter 6, verse 3 when God said that his spirit would not sustain man for more than 120 years. Look, after the flood, there are humans who live much longer than 120 years. So it could be that God, over time, began to reduce human life down to no more than 120 years. But it could also be that God's prescription there in chapter six, verse three, of 120 years, that that was in fact the window of time given to Noah and the amount of time required to build such an enormous ark. I'm inclined toward that theory. Could be wrong, you know the drill. Either way, just as God foretold last week in chapter six, the earth has been flooded in his first destruction. For the remainder of our time, let's make two observations from this passage. If you're a note taker, number one, the dependability of God's word. And number two, the determination of Noah's obedience. Number one, the dependability of God's word. In verse four, After Noah completes the construction of the ark, God tells him that in seven days, he will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and every living human and every land-based creature will be blotted out from the face of the earth. Now quickly, the number seven and the number 40 carried significance for the ancient Israelites who were the first to receive the book of Genesis. The number seven indicates a fullness and a completion, and the number 40 generally indicates a period of testing. Later in the biblical story, how many years would the Israelites spend in the wilderness? 40. How many days would Moses spend on Mount Sinai? 40. How many days of fasting would Jesus spend in the the desert? 40. But here in verse four, God tells Noah what's going to happen And then in verses 10 through 12, and then again in verses 17 through 24, we're told on a macro level and a micro level, what God said would happen happens precisely as he said it would. After seven days, verse 10, the waters came. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day, don't you love the specificity of the date? That places an importance on, about, on, on what's about to happen. What happens? Well, the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Let me emphasize this, just as God said it would. In verse 17, we're told, the flood continued 40 days on the earth and 
the waters increased so much that the massive ark took float. In verses 18 through 20, we're told that the floodwaters prevailed so greatly, so mightily. Imagine this, picture this. Even Mount Everest would have been submerged under 20 feet of water. Verses 21 through 23 should rightly be alarming to us. All flesh, every living human and land creature died. They were blotted out from the face of the ground and only Noah and his family and the creatures that God brought to Noah, only they survive, hear my emphasis, just as God said would be the case. If you haven't caught on to my emphasis yet, what we see here, point blank, God's word is dependable. Later in the biblical story, after God tells the Israelites that he will deliver them from slavery in Egypt, what does he do? He delivers them from slavery, slavery in Egypt. Then after God tells them that he will lead them into a promised land flowing with milk and honey, what does he do? He leads them into the promised land that flows with milk and honey. And then after God tells them, after that, he, he tells them he'll bring forth an offspring from Abraham, Jacob, Judah, and David, an offspring born in Bethlehem to a virgin who would rescue God's people from Satan's sin and death. What did God do? He did just that. Are we noticing a pattern here? Are we noticing God's impeccable track record of doing precisely as he says he's going to do? I am the Lord, God declares in the book of Ezekiel. I will speak the word that I will speak and it will be performed. I am the Lord. What I have spoken will come to pass. Full stop, period. And didn't we see this in Genesis chapter one? When God spoke into the empty void and then out of nothing, the sky and sea and land and sun and moon and everything obediently came into existence just as God told it to. God's word is dependable. Let's be cheesy for a moment. Hold on to your Bible. Hold it physically. And if you have a device, man, I'm just going to apologize now, but hold on to that as well. Hold on to it. Every single syllable of this book belongs to God. Every single declaration within it has and is and will come to pass. Every promise in this book so dependable that we can and should and must stake our lives on it. We will not bend a knee to the cultural pressures right now of gender and marriage because they do not accord with God's word. 
We will not bow down to the cultural pressures of relativism because God's word insists there is but one way and one truth and one life and it is Jesus Christ the Lord. There aren't multiple paths, relativistic culture, and we won't bend to it. In fact, I'll die at that stake. Now listen to what Jesus, the Son of Man, Son of God, Lamb of God, declares to us in Matthew 24. It's fitting for right now. Jesus says this, for the coming of the Son of Man, that is his return, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days, before the flood, mankind was eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until Noah entered the ark. Mankind did not listen. They did not understand, Jesus says, until the flood came. And then they were all swept away. And now listen to this sobering line from Christ. And so it will be when the Son of God comes again to judge the earth. Ponder two things with me from what I just read there. Firstly, Noah, throughout the entire time that he built the ark, he was preaching to his corrupt peers. We are told in 1 Peter 3 that while Noah built the ark, God waited patiently for any who would listen to his word. Through Noah, clearly but no one did listen. No one believed Noah that destruction was coming. No one believed that God's word was dependable and the outcome was, we've read it, they were all swept away. Only when it started to rain did they get it or did they, were they willing to get it? But it was too late. The Lord, as we're told in verse 16 of our passage, the Lord had already sealed Noah and his family within the ark. This, and I think rightly so, this makes me tremble for that Time Magazine correspondent, Ishan Tarur, who denies God's word that a literal historical flood took place because such a denial can only produce continued denial that a literal second judgment is coming. Even though God's word says so clearly, this is gonna happen again. The title of this sermon is the first destruction because there will be another one. Just like Noah's peers who did not listen, so that Time Magazine correspondent will be provided that the miracle of the Lord does not break into his heart and he come to believe on Christ, he will be swept away at the second judgment. If you would, pray with me. Lord, for Ishan Tarur and every other Time Magazine correspondent and everyone else who is sewing into this narrative that your flood story is because we went to bed with full bladders, firstly, forgive them. Secondly, rescue their hearts. We ask that boldly by the blood of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen.
God's word is so dependable, we had better get busy forsaking sin and trusting him and obeying him and watching for him because just as quickly as he cleansed the world with water, he can and will at any moment of his choosing cleanse the world again, but this time with fire. So may we be like Noah who understood God's word to be entirely dependable and therefore we determined to obey it. Number two, the determination of Noah's obedience. Theologian Ken Matthews observes, Noah's venture to build the ark upon dry land before a drop of water was yet to be seen his venture to obey is exemplary of a person trusting in what cannot be seen or proven. It might not have made perfect sense to Noah when God commanded him to build a massive ship on dry land, but he obeyed nonetheless. As we're told again in verse five, verses nine and 10 and 16, he obeyed Nonetheless. Now imagine with me, imagine with me the peer pressure and the ridicule and the scorn that he probably faced for decades as he obediently built the ark. Imagine with me what his peers likely said to him. Imagine what the scientific minds of his day had to say. Noah. You're crazy. You are out of your mind. There is no water. There's not even a cloud in the sky. And you believe that your God is going to judge the earth with a flood? If that's how you want to live, go ahead and do it. But you, sir, are a narrow-minded bigot. Imagine hearing that day after day, month after month, year after year, for decades, maybe for 120 years, while building a boat using primitive tools and the boat roughly ending up the size one-third, the Titanic. And yet, Genesis chapter seven, Noah was determined to obey. We read in Hebrews 11, verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear toward God, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by doing this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In verses two and three of our passage, the Lord informs Noah of all the animals and birds he'll soon bring to Noah for safekeeping inside the ark that after the flood, they would repopulate the earth. A few chapters ago, God brought the animals to Adam to be named. Now, he's bringing the animals to Noah to be preserved. The number seven once again appears in verses two and three indicating that the animals and birds that God was bringing to Noah would be a full representation of the created order. And from them, 
the repopulation of all the creatures that we have today. We also see in verses 2 and 3 that some of the creatures are considered clean, while some are considered not clean. And those terms clean and not clean serve as a sort of preview of what is to come in the law of Moses. Later in the biblical story, clean and unclean animals have to do with what the Israelites were and were not permitted to eat, as well as what they were and were not permitted to sacrifice to God. Now the fact that this clean and unclean distinction is made right here in verses two and three is fitting because in the next chapter, chapter eight, Noah is going to make a sacrifice to the Lord, a clean sacrifice to the Lord. In verses 13 through 16, we, we kind of get a sense that all the animals and the birds, clean and unclean, they arrive at the ark just in time. We get that kind of sense as heavy rain begins to fall and as geysers of water begin to erupt from the ground with not a moment to lose, Noah, obedient, Noah obediently ushers his son and his wife and his son's wives into the finished ark along with all the birds and animals the Lord had gathered. And then of course, according to God's word, 40 days, 40 nights, nothing but chaotic rainfall and geyser eruptions. Now put yourself with me in Noah's shoes. Imagine the ark door is sealed. You're inside. Imagine the sounds of an apocalyptic hailstorm outside. Imagine the creaking sounds of a massive ark beginning to take float. Now soberingly, imagine the sounds of panic and pounding on the outside of the ark. Those who teased and taunted and tormented you for years are now wanting to be let in, but it is too late and they are without excuse. A massive ark has been assembled before their very eyes for maybe 120 years, all the while you say, Destruction is coming. Destruction is coming. Turn to God. And not one of them did. The ark has been sealed by God himself just as he said he would do so. Now imagine you're Noah again. You're inside the ark. You, by God's grace, believed him. You trusted and obeyed God. And he saved you. Hebrews eleven seven again. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by doing this, he condemned the disobedient world, and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so my question for us this morning, October 17th, 2021, will we, like Noah, believe that God's word is this dependable? Will we, like Noah, believe 
Even though the trumpet is not yet blowing, and even though Christ is not yet descending through the clouds with the angelic army of heaven to purge the earth of God's enemies, even though these end time events are not right now unfolding, and even though these end time events are not right now seen, will we, like Noah, believe God with a reverent fear and obey him? Or will we be like that Time Magazine correspondent and undermine what God's word tells us could happen at any moment, explaining away with our scientific pomp the things that God has declared to be certain? Look, what God is not calling us to do this morning, thank the Lord, he is not calling us to build another ark. He is calling us to enter into a better ark that he has already provided. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ poured out his blood on the cross to blot out the sins of sinners like you and me. And God's dependable word tells us that your sin and my sin is going to be blotted out from the face of the earth. But there are only two ways that it's going to be blotted out. Either we enter into the ark of Jesus' blood. That is, we trust in the saving power of his blood and turn from our sin and into obedience toward him. Our sin at that point will be blotted out by faith, but our sin will also be blotted out one day by fire if we do not turn and trust Christ. I have never preached fire and brimstone. Today, I'm doing it. When Christ returns... And you hear me on this because I don't want to be accountable for not making this clear. When Christ returns, and that could happen at any moment, any moment of the Father's choosing, it's going to happen. His word is so dependable. When he returns, he is not going to return as the lamb, but the lion. He is not going to return to caress and massage. He is coming to judge. And he will do so with the wrath and fire of God. His word is dependable. Our sin, and all of us have sinned, our sin will only be blotted, it will be blotted out. But either by faith or by fire. And may we this day choose whom we will serve. And more so than just uh, some sort of flippant belief, ah, I believe you know, in God, and I believe that, yeah, he's, he's, no, 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 no. To believe is this. Woe is me. I am a sinner. I am undone before you. I believe your word to be true, that I am worthy of condemnation, but you, God, in all of your gracious mercy, sent Jesus a perfect life, death, and resurrection on my behalf, that I may be found underneath the fountain of his blood and my sins blotted out by his blood. Oh, I trust that. Now, help me to turn from my sin and to obey your word. That's what God is calling us to do today. Will you, with me, come into the ark 
of the blood of Christ and be spared as we see Noah and his family being spared in Genesis chapter 7. Folks, that is Genesis chapter 7. Would you pray with me? It is a good thing, Lord, when we are struck by the intensity of your word, by the zeal of your righteous and holiness. It's a good thing that we are struck by this fact that we don't deserve to be welcomed into the ark of Jesus' blood, but for your mercy and your love. We thank you for sending Christ. We ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you might grant our hearts who have believed to continue to believe that you would hold us fast, that we would believe so fervently that we turn from our sin and we are determined to obey your dependable word. I also ask God for those who are here who may be like that Time Magazine correspondent are just living day to day, just you know what, the evidence for a flood, yeah, it is or is not there, but I'm just gonna continue marrying and being given in marriage and eating and drinking just like the generation of Noah. Oh, Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, rescue them and bring them into the loving arms of your redemption. And Lord, Lord God, the Holy Spirit, would you inhabit our praises as we sing your praises now together in Jesus' name, amen.